0: Hey dude, so it's recording. Uh, We're doing
1: an episode on the pain body, Mm. uh, that tasty subject, and maybe a little bit on how that relates and differentiates itself from the ego and uh, kind of getting into a bit of analysis in the pain body, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you you actually recall much of reading about the pain body or was it a bit under the radar or or put put to us put to the side because of other bigger topics
0: uh i think fundamentally one of the things about all the kind of terminologies and the teachings is everything's interconnected and the moment that you try to identify something in a particular and like put it in a box just like you hear the term pain body and then you go okay logically uh, please define the pain body um, it's hard to do that because it's so a part of lots of other things and everything's interconnected It it's difficult to define so um, I want to keep that in mind and not try to box myself in too much because I know we're going to have some challenges um, but in terms of recalling this is why it's also difficult to recall what Eckhart thinks about it and how he talks about it is because it doesn't seem to be so clearly defined. Uh, It seems to kind of crop up. Um, I know Eckhart does a lot of like Q&A, you know, he takes everyday examples of what people are going through and he starts to kind of analyze it and break it down and, and and talk about it. And pain body is one of the terms that keep coming up because it's In the context, he's talking about individuals' experiences and their particular scenarios. Uh, Mm. But trying to just not take it with context, just try to define it as a whole, as an entity, it's tricky. Because I feel like it needs context to help explain it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It definitely does. And it definitely needs examples to help explain it uh, in terms of how it's different from, from other ideas. Uh, So shall I kick us off with a quote?
0: Mm. uh,
1: Yeah, what what, what he's, uh, and I'll piece together two quotes and just kind of present them together. Uh, so So he's written in A New Earth, any negative emotion that's not fully faced and seen for what it is in the moment it arises, does not completely dissolve. It leaves behind a remnant of pain and then goes on to say, the reman- remnants of pain left behind by every strong negative emotion that is not fully faced, accepted, and then let go of together to form an, an energy... F- uh, f- oh, I think there's a typo here in my version. Okay. But, but anyway, let me read that. The remnants of pain left behind go on to form an energy field that lives in the very cells of your body. So it consists not just of childhood pain, but also painful emotions that were added to it later in adolescence and during adult life much of it created by the voice of the ego. It is the emotional pain that is your unavoidable companion when a false sense of self is the basis of your life. Mm. Uh, and then finally, this energy field of old, but still very much alive emotion that lives in almost every human being is the pain body.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: So it's that, I, I, I think that it... The, the way that he's starting out here is there's a lot of emphasis on history, a lot of emph- emphasis on the past, on uh, accumulation over time of pain and suffering um, in the form of or as a result of uh, the, the dominance of the ego, which is particularly there in in your younger years, I think. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, the key differences with the ego is that the ego is that phenomenon. Whereas what's, what he seems to be saying here is that the pain body is actually okay when you when you have that phenomenon of the ego and you're ex- experiencing that ident- identification over time, um, then there are certain layers which build up in your uh, emotional body or in the in the way that you respond emotionally to a situation as a result. So it's almost like patterns of behavior or but yeah patterns of of thinking or responding emotionally to a situation as a result of um the suffering that you've experienced over time particularly when you were young um because of being identified with a particular object or form Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: how uh, does that sound to you that sound yeah it's clear and, and different from the ego
0: well okay um my opinion is that the ego is such a massive, massive topic, and it's such a massive part of us. Uh, I think ego is kind of, it's, it's fundamentally all about our identity, our, in, our individual identity it comprises of so many things that we associate ourselves with. Uh, And also we don't associate ourselves with it comprises of that. So it's kind of like ego is just absolutely massive. And the pain body, its relation to that is I think the pain body is uh, uh, of uh, the ego kind of warfare, the ego life, the ego kind of comes and goings. reactions and interactions with the world the pain body is more like as you said the history the uh kind of accumulation of the suffering that we carry so i think it's like a particular kind of subject or area uh of our ego journey and um, we walk around with this ego, with this identity, and we're re- reacting and interacting. And pain body is the part that hangs on to the suffering throughout our lives. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, um, you know, if you have a chip on your shoulder, or if you're jaded, or if someone goes, Oh, are you still hanging on to that? You know, it's that. All those um, is part of the pain body. That is the pain body. Um, The pain body is a part of you that hangs on to stuff. And it's probably good to, again, like visualize and perceive these concepts as being a part of you that you can witness and you can kind of start to uh, take conscious uh, ability to disassociate at will, or rather, at the beginning, just observe it as being a part of you, and hopefully for it to not take control over you. You know, uh, it's all one and the same with the ego, but that, thats where I think the pain body is. It's like a, a category, especially revol- revolving around suffering that you still carry. And I think mm-hmm. the curious thing about pain body is that it's two words, pain and body. Pain is pretty self-explanatory, suffering. And that's usually an accumulation. But body is also a very curious word to use in this description because I was listening to Eckhart talking, you know, Q and A, answering Q and A. And the thing that he was pointing out about the body part is that the suffering is only experienced within the person feeling that suffering. It doesn't exist anywhere else, you know? Mm. Um, In that moment, the only person, the only entity experiencing that suffering, because the suffering is usually in the past. Pain body is usually regurgitating, reacting to, conjuring up something that's been in the past and then it's re-experienced in the present, Mm. you know? But it's usually linked to the past. So you're the only person experiencing that. So if you, f- if you see the, the word body as like this shell that's in you and that's your pain body reacting to stuff, it doesn't exist a couple of inches to your mm. right. It doesn't exist to the person next to you. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It doesn't exist in that tree that you see next to you. you, know? you it's self-contained within your skin. And if you're able to see that skin, that pain body is like a membrane. And if you're, f- for example, able to step outside of that body and observe that body, that pain body, then that helps you yeah, manage that and not let it overwhelm, not let it take over you completely. Right,
1: it, it's like the, the pain is etched into your cells and, and it exists within you. I mean, it's not physically there. There's not actually a, a particle within your body or within your bloodstream or whatever it is that, that is uh, marked with the initials PB. It's mm. it's that, but, but in a way it comes to infiltrate your very being, um, your very physical being, because it does impact the way that you react to something emotionally and then necessarily the way that you react potentially physically as well in terms of for example lashing out because you feel like
0: you've been wronged or something like that yeah um yeah you can have a a a very visceral reaction to something Mm. that that sticks and stones can you know break my bones but words will never hurt me that kind of thing that so you know words being just (laughs) a a construct, it's a, it's a, it's an idea, it's a thought form, you know, it's communication. It's not physical harm. you know? Mm. So I could call you, you know, a bastard, I can call you a bad person, but if your pain body can uh, viscerally react to that, you might actually feel that you're being attacked. Your heart rate will jack up, you know, your anger will flare. You'll go in fight or flight, you know, mode. It can mm. actually have cellular visceral physical reactions mm.
1: yeah, yeah definitely and and it's those layers, I think visceral is, is the right word, and the way I stand, uh, understand it is that 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 visceral reaction is based on almost like you know when you go through the different layers of the earth and you eventually come across fossils from ancient uh, organisms and dinosaurs and the rest, and it's those fossils from our past that that become uncovered but I think that's the main difference as I'm saying from from the ego is the pain body is very much at that extremely deep visceral level uh, and as we both said the accumulation of that um, and, and does operate through the ego because it is the ego which is effectively being prodded over time you know the pain that forms the pain body is pain that's caused to the ego it's not pain that's caused to who you truly are because yeah. who you truly are can't feel pain as as we know it's it's something much higher than that. So it's more that hurt self-esteem, that hurt pride, um, that particularly is true when you're growing up, when you want to feel like you're an important person and you're, and you're, part, of, um, you're part of a family, part of a community, part of a school, part of a class, part of a heritage, part of a, a tribe or an ethnicity, and you know all of your identity that comes from that, or even from things that you own. Everything is mm. ego.
0: It's association. It's this image that you, you build. And then you defend against mm. all else. And it becomes you. You mm. become it. You know, and then it.
1: the pain which accumulates is, is, is when that is taken away. And the, because the ego is so much about inflation, right? And, and inflationary tactics to make you feel bigger than.
0: Not necessarily.
1: Than you think you, you need comes, to be.
0: This comes back down to the definition of the word ego. Because if you pull up dictionary, it has like at least five or six different definitions of the word ego. It can be scientific. It can be about um, inflated self-esteem and arrogance, which is what most people associate that word with. Or it can be uh, what I keep referring to, especially in these conversations with Therkartouli and New Earth. I keep referring to the ego as the, uh, you know, pretty, pretty comprehensive identity of self and all that means you know so it's pretty like a big broad blanket it's not just relegated to this kind of you know high self esteem bigging yourself up bordering on arrogance that's not what i mean when i say ego so i keep referring back to the actual like semantics the the meaning of the word
1: yeah and, and and i, I think, think what what i meant by inflated sense of self is is not that sort of more dictionary definition but it is inflated sense of self through the identification of form and you know that the, the very kind of Eckhart Tolle concept and and a uh, new earth concept which is that um, you identify with form in order to feel bigger and feel like you know it's covering up uh, a hole in you which is that you're not enough the truth obviously being that outside of the ego you're complete and you're a whole, and there's no issue mm-hmm. but when you're in the grip of the ego you feel like uh, everything's competition and that's where the inflated self, sense of self is important through identif- and identifying with things. Yeah. So, um, and, and then it's within that bubble. When that bubble is occasionally popped because of the pain of, of life, you know, whether, uh, one of the examples that he gives is when a child starts to go through this, this, the stage of establishing an ego, such as when they're a, a toddler. And you know, if they have their favorite toy taken away and they start crying because they identify through the toy, that's a part of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just take the toy away on one on one occasion or or they have a they lose a toy on one occasion, then that's a pain, but it's not necessarily gonna accumulate into a pain body. But the way I see it is if you keep taking things away from that child and as they grow and they go into adolescence, you know, if they lose not just a toy but if they start losing other things or have other things which are important to their to their identity and their stability through yeah. their identity taken away as they get older for example whether it's uh, you know recognition where the recognition isn't there or whether role models are taken away mm-hmm. or they lose their friends or their parents aren't there either physically or emotionally
0: yeah
1: and it's that constant yeah. popping of the body of the, the, body, uh, of the uh, sorry constant popping of uh the ego in a way in the sense that it's that, that pricking and prodding it's funny and, you should say that yeah it's funny
0: i should say that why uh it's just because i wrote up this um this note uh i decided so much like we've created this like podcast idea it's very informal i've created a blog it's very informal it's just a place for me to just like dump my ideas i've been writing ideas down uh left right and center but i just thought i would start getting them out and so. Uh, I came up with a theory about uh, the bubble wrap ego, mm. and it's very much in line with this. If you if you imagine that the ego is comprised of like this bubble wrap, it, it it not all the bubbles are uniform in size and shape and stuff. They you know, the bigger the bubbles, the more that you associate yourself with whatever is in that bubble, whether it be uh, reputation, whether it be gender, age, nationality, affiliations, you know, religion, whatever. Um, it's all that, that's your ego that you surround yourself with, you, you encase yourself in and when people, um, attack any bubble, you know, it does feel like a physical attack. Like they're popping it, you know, they're coming at you with little, little pins and knives and stuff. And you feel like you need to defend yourself. And so then you try and attack their bubbles. And it's this like game that everyone's playing all the time. It's the game of trying to pop people's bubbles when you feel like you're being attacked, and that's all it is this ego warfare uh so that's why I said because 'cause you're using pop and prick and stab and stuff and bubble and that's that all aligns with this idea right. of trying to visualize it
1: yeah, definitely i mean that's a that's a way of visualizing it and and it's the, when it steps into being a pain body is when the same type of pain is inflicted time and time again so if that's some, if that's something that's important to you being taken away or a source of love that's being taken away yeah. for example um then eventually that becomes etched onto you and you get into these kind of child inner child and child psychology issues or which translate into being an adult you know things like oh i i can't trust the environment around me uh or oh, i'm not worthy of love and all of these kind of scenarios that that come out later Um, And, you know, people have to deal with through therapy in terms of understanding the pain that they had in their childhood. So I think I think it starts to bridge into that area of psychology as well. Um, Although he he doesn't obviously go into that area in in kind of clinical or scientific detail. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And what's your view on the way that we respond to the pain body? So because the the way that that I've experienced it is that with, with, with the ego for me it's always been very clear in terms of uh, the thoughts that are in your head but as we said this is something that's accumulated that sometimes are like a visceral reaction when it comes to the pain body and so it's not necessarily that thought pops into your head um, which says oh this person doesn't love me or whatever it is it can just be an instant lashing out mm-hmm. without necessarily the thought that says oh I need to lash out or I need to attack because um my uh, sense of self my self esteem is, is is under is under fire so what what do you think about the way that the pain body is experienced in terms of kind of skipping that thought in your head process and more visceral emotional reaction
0: uh, i I think that um, the pain body is i think a very very deep and sensitive topic because it is an accumulation of suffering it's usually a repeated uh, reminder of things that you haven't found to your preference and over time you know it, it it does require some context to help illustrate meaning so, for example, you mentioned uh, if you're a toddler and you keep getting your favorite toys taken away, like the parents, for some reason or other, they just think you're spending too much time with this toy. They want to take your attention away and get you to focus on other things. So they keep taking your toy away. You're a toddler. You don't know the bigger plan. You don't know the intention. All you know is that your toys have been taken away. You might feel that. Um, uh, why is this done to me? This is, I don't like it. I want it. I want it. I want it so bad. I want this external thing. You associate yourself to it. And then every time some something is taken away from you or later in life, when people that you form attachments with, um, they leave you, all of that starts building this narrative. And that's where it's dangerous. You might start building this narrative that forms again adds to your ego adds to your identity adds to this narrative of your identity that you are not worthy of love or that everything you love and attach to will leave you you know everything will will is pointless because it will be it will leave you with pain and um you know then you might be jaded And so that will impact on your future relationships and your future attachment to things. And it has all these big meaningful implications. And um, so usually the pain body is something that's a very meaningful, very personal thing. And when anything triggers or reminds you uh, of this kind of pain that you carry no one else carries you've accumulated it it's very personal to you to your identity uh and your narrative that you uh subscribe to and you've created for yourself when anything triggers that it completely precedes any kind of logical thought you might have a millisecond but you'd have to be very very conscious of your own reactions Mm. to catch yourself in that moment but usually Ego reactions precede anything else, um, usually. And so when it comes to the pain body, it's a very deeply intrinsic, not well not it has been intrinsic, but very powerful, emotionally charged, visceral reaction, like knee-jerk thing, uh, part of your ego. And so when that's triggered, you have very little chance, usually, to be mm-hmm. conscious, to control it. So it precedes it. Yeah. So then it's, it's a matter of, well, not all hope is lost because you're like, well, if it precedes everything and it's on autopilot, then what can I do? Well, first of all, discussions like this help identify it. So that it helps kind of keep it in your mind and you can hopefully get into the pattern of recognizing it and stopping it in its tracks and just creating space You know, as soon as you feel your anger bubble up, you just go, I feel anger. Okay, why do I feel anger? Maybe I can't figure out now because I'm bloody angry and all I want to do is kill that person. So it's like you put a pin in it and you you you. Keep it for food for thought, for reflection afterwards, but in that moment, you know, things like the standard practices, like create space, just breathe, you know, think about where you are, you know, use your sensory systems to go, I am right here, I am with this person, we were talking about this, I feel the wind on my skin, I kind of look up at the sky, you know, kind of like start to take yourself out of your body, out of your pain body. And so hopefully you're able to observe your pain body and pause it before it takes over. Yeah. And that's the same kind of practice that we're trying to, you know, um, do uh, all from a new earth. But pain body is like a very particular, uh, very powerful and instantaneous part of us. Mm -hmm. You particularly strong and deep. A large pain body, it's more difficult to handle.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And as you said, it's so entrenched and at the same time so instantaneous that it's a lot harder to catch and then to know how to even identify it happening in you and the reasons and bringing out the ancient stories so that they're there in front of you, mm-hmm. almost like on a page, so that you can actually read them through and then understand it because. For me, I, I see it as, as definitely not really necessarily coming through as a, a thought or, a vo- or the voice in the head. I, I think it's like those ancient thoughts, almost like fossils in, in the earth that have accumulated and each fossil is a different thought. And the thing is, the, the way I see it as different from the ego as well in terms of how you manage it is, um, as, as you were saying, like with, with the ego, it's almost like every time there's an opportunity to lose presence, that's almost like a seed that's being planted, but you can become present, be aware of the thought or the distraction or whatever it is, and the seed doesn't need to be planted. So you're kind of wandering around this landscape and there's these constantly these seeds that are looking to be planted and some of them will and you'll go with the thought and you'll kind of lose the present moment. And in other cases, you'll catch it and they'll never get planted. But then you are kind of wandering this landscape and then suddenly there's this huge oak tree that's got roots mm-hmm. incredibly deep. And it's already planted, it's already there, it's already matured, and it's kind of, you might not even see it because you're so focused on the seeds coming into the ground um, that you forget or or, or aren't aware that there's actually these other kind of institutions, if you like, on the mind and in in the landscape.
0: Um, Yeah. In this description, what do the seeds represent? What are the seeds and what is this oak tree a development of?
1: Well I mean the the seeds are are not planted so they're not necessarily if you think you go back to uh, childhood or or, yeah when you're um, or or put it this way if you're kind of becoming conscious through whatever means whatever books whatever teachers, you're suddenly more able to attain the present moment or eventually you know you're on that path anyway and so rather than just going with the stream of thought and going with the identification with thought with form as those kind of seeds kind of shower down on you you're occasionally able to not necessarily let them take root and eventually grow into the kind of trees of our youth that that come about through the pain body so I think that that that's the difference is that you can kind of catch yourself losing the present moment and you can become present and then that's that's kind of taken care of but you can be in the present moment but then you're faced with a situation that activates the pain body um, and you just have no time like there's no you don't see it coming you don't see the seed coming it's already there there's a huge tree and you don't necessarily realize it and you're suddenly you know right up against it and you know your heart rate will go faster potentially um and you know your ability to therefore think and act fully or in the way that you'd like to have that full control is diminished and it might not be that that it's a that you're kind of lashing out it could be that you're actually just turning in on yourself and yeah. sort of feeling less significant in that scenario like maybe you're speaking in public or you know because of behavioral patterns in terms of relation to friends and family just the ways that you used to behave kind of coming coming out yeah. so it might be uh, something like that but yeah I think it's a lot harder to necessarily then bring out that what what is the ancient thought that's buried underneath that means that I'm reacting in this way because with the ego sometimes it can just be that voice in your head and you can spot it and you can be like huh, that's a load of nonsense why would i believe that uh, you know you can catch the ego in the act but it's a lot harder to dig out the roots of the tree and figure out what's the story here that i've been telling myself um in a vis on a visceral level
0: well i think <clears throat> i think most of us who are along the path of introspection and you know betterment trying to figure ourselves out, trying to improve ourselves any way we can. That general path, every one of us are are trying to get to the roots of our own trees and figure ourselves out. But that is certainly not the thing to do in the moment when the pain body possesses you. When the pain body comes over you and possesses you, your best bet is to try and realize that you have become possessed by your pain body. Right. It has overruled your thoughts, your reactions, you know, your perspective, your rationale. Like it's, it's, you've just become possessed. I think that's probably the best way to try to imagine it because effectively you have, you know, when you are particularly triggered, When you're particularly flared up, that's usually uh, a a big part of the ego, and a big part of the ego is the pain body. And when that's triggered, you become possessed, and so you say things that you later didn't really mean. In your right mind, in a conscious state, you wouldn't have said those things. You would have taken time to analyze it and perceive it in a different light, to your choosing, to your preference. But when the pain body is triggered, when you become possessed it's a different beast. So Mm. your thoughts alone are unconscious. You know, your perspective on reality, of the situation, of the context, if you've repeated several patterns that the pain body then, you know, creates this narrative and adds to your identity, if all of these things keep perpetuating Forget about it. About trying to analyze, you know, psychoanalyze yourself in that moment because it's too late. You've already become possessed. Your thoughts are gonna run along that pattern. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like you just put in. uh, It's like you run a program. You know, it's like okay, here's the the, uh, here's the monster program. Run it. (laughs) (laughs) Your pain body is triggered it possesses you, okay, you're in monster form, you're in pain body form now, run that program. And so your best bet is to try and realize that that program has been initiated and just stop it and just create some space, create distance, You know, remove yourself from the situation, just try to manage that because whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you react is gonna be part of that program, the pain yeah. body, monstrous possession, program Um,
1: yeah yeah it's that possession like you said i think that's a really good way of putting it it's and and how hard it is when you're possessed to realize obviously that you're possessed Mm -hmm. at the very least though i think what you can do and, and what i've done is you know these things happen in such subtle ways sometimes you know whether it's in the workplace or among friends and family just when there's a say a political point of view or a social or economic point of view and you know before you know it you've got Kind of got, got got into this trap in which you have to defend your position or you feel like your credibility is under attack because of the poor logic or, or argumentation of someone else um, and that you're being painted in a in a poor light as a result and and it's very easy just with this stray email, you know how you see sort of passive aggressive remarks here and there all over the place and we we've all experienced and 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 uh, kind of given those things ourselves as well. But yeah, I think, I think, as you said, when it comes to getting out of that situation, even if you're not able to, in that moment, kind of do the analysis, what you are able to do is probably notice that you're angry. And as hard as it may be, just being conscious that you're, that you're feeling that emotion, that you may be exhibiting this pattern that from previous experience comes out in this particular situation, for example, in relationships then you can, you can maybe remove yourself from that situation. And I think that's something that Eckhart Tolle actually uh, says or advises if you like, um, in, in some of his material.
0: Yeah. Um, on a side note, imagine if how difficult it is to uh, even kind of recognize the signs that you have been seriously triggered and that that's you, your pain body, which is like a, you know, a huge category of, uh, of being triggered. Uh, so once you're possessed, if you think that it's difficult to see those, notice those symptoms and just pause it, for the average individual in an average situation, imagine being uh, extremely hormonal. As in, imagine if uh, a woman is on her period and imagine if our emotional circuitry is jacked up, you know, multiple times. Imagine how hard it is to catch yourself when your emotions are just like through the roof.
1: Yeah, well, we know as, as men how that can happen, how, how our, our hormonal states, can be altered in different situations because of the trappings of what it means to be, to be, to be a man or just as part of the genetic makeup of, of being a man as well in terms of the way that testosterone comes into the equation and um, and, sure. impacts, and impacts the way that we see ourselves and the way we um, operate a pain body or, or uh, own a pain body as well. Um, but um, going back to something that you mentioned earlier in terms of us as individuals kind of carrying our pain bodies, I think it's quite interesting that besides accumulation of pain uh, in our own individual ways as individuals, Eckhart speaks about um, the pain body not just being individual in nature, but kind of being part of an inheritance of suffering that, that's happened from Countless of hum- countless humans before us in history, uh-huh. um, and just to quote something here, the history of humanity, which is a history of continuous tribal warfare, of enslavement, pillage, rape, torture, and other forms of violence. This pain still lives in the collective psyche and is being added to on a daily basis. So he's got this concept that we actually also, besides perhaps not having enough love or attention, for example, in in the case of an individual child, also saying, you know, he gives the example of some babies crying regardless of whether they have love or attention and it's almost like the crying is there for no reason but he he links it back to this idea that we inherit pain um somehow genetically or or otherwise it's sort of as as an imprint on our dna so what do you think about this idea that there's this kind of collective pain that we inherit regardless of actually the the nature and nurture of our upbringing
0: definitely Um, the the things that we can consciously perceive um, is quite limited, I believe, to what we are actually able to perceive, whether subconsciously or consciously. Um, So when it comes to a toddler or a baby, in your example, uh, crying for no apparent reason, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely in the realms of it might, it, it hasn't in its life, in its physical life that it has there, it hasn't had much time or or cognition to process any kind of like significant pain body itself. But I think that it is entirely possible to absorb uh, others, whether, like I say, like, you know, consciously like with thought, with cognition, with ideals and associations of ideals um, or collectively. Um, And this starts to bring up questions about lifespans, about lifetimes, about if we do uh, believe in a kind of underlying consciousness that's, uh, you know, it, it, we are kind of physical manifestations of it within different lifespans. Um, if you link it to something like a soul, if you say, okay, my soul is eternal. And if you believe in reincarnation, that your soul kind of manifests into different reincarnations and it keeps doing this. Um, if you go along those ways of possibility of of existence, of what could be real, then you start to enter into the deeper collective contribution to, uh, to pain bodies that are not just, air quotes, individual, you know, mm. the, the collective. Because if for that, for example, if that baby happens to uh, be uh, black and um, there is a history, a recent history that's still unmet, unresolved, unhealed, Um, of the big, you know, huge suffering of uh, indigenous people, of black people, um, the enslavement and the, you know, perpetuation of this kind of like negative stigma uh, in society. This baby hasn't, hasn't had that um, personal interaction with that stigma, with that narrative. It hasn't, but, Suppose it's picking up on the residual kind of pain body uh, Mm -hmm. through past experiences, through past lives, through its parents, through its grandparents, through its immediate environment. They might be carrying it and they might be um, emanating this kind of pain body and it might not be susceptible to the, um, you know, kind of conscious mind, to the conscious senses, but it Mm -hmm. might be perceptible to the subconscious. Uh, yeah. or even, like, I don't know, pre-conscious, if that's even a, a word. You know, I mm. think there's a lot of information that's, that's going around that uh, we, we cannot even recognize. We don't even know that we're able to perceive it, never mind its existence. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it gets real, like, in that, in that kind of ethereal mm, way, area.
1: I, I think it makes sense I, I I don't know what the science is or whether it could be kind of proven scientifically, but I think that the principle of uh the 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 behaviors and patterns of the past um influencing future generations of any species in terms of how we react to certain situations, including say being a crying infant, makes sense um whether there's any research behind the way that uh, the kind of the, the kind of pain that we have as infants or crying and uh, things like that, based on the suffering of us in the past, I'm not sure about. I mean, it, it seems to make sense in terms of behaviours being inherited by future generations, whether you could then break that down by, say, all oh, right, there's the collective pain body for the, in, this indigenous group in Greenland versus the collective body, a pain body, which impacts the behaviour of infants and toddlers for uh, uh, indigenous people in Namibia or, or uh, you know, African Americans in, in, in the United States or something like that, I'm not sure about and I probably wouldn't be able to get to that level of detail in the research, but the principle of it being inherited by humans as a species, uh, kind of um, being encoded in our DNA in a way, as he puts it, I think I think can probably stack up. Mm. In, in that sense, then, there's actually two aspects of the paint body. There's the part that we discussed earlier, which is that it's as the ego is established, grows, and is repeatedly hurt in some way, then the pain body accumulates from that, from the, the hurt pride of the ego. Mm-hmm. But then there's almost this pre-ego inheritance that we get. Pre-ego being, say, when, when you're an infant, before the ego is established and you get the sense of I mm-hmm. and myself when you're two or three years old. So that almost seems to be there in the background as well. Mm. Um, so there's, so it actually maybe it's not entirely at least in terms of how he's writing about it limited to um, um, what's yeah. developed through, through the ego as an individual
0: yeah I, I, I think um, if we explore that and uh, kind of pick it apart we might come up with a different terminology like we might go it, it kind of feels like it's one and the same but if we categorize it as uh, one is part of the ego Um, which is more personal, obviously. And then the other one is a, you know, for lack of a better term, another pain body, but it might be a different category of pain body. But then you might not not use the word body anymore because it might be transcendent of the body. It's pre-body. It's pre-individualized. It's pre-localized. And so then it might be given a different term relating to that same kind of concept, but, it's yeah, I think I think you're onto something we might have to create some kind of separate term uh, mm-hmm. because we might we might develop our own pain bodies as we grow, as our ego takes root and we create associations and all that stuff. But yeah, we might also be carrying this residual unmet, unhealed, unrecognized uh For lack of a better term, pain body, but we might create a different term for that.
1: Yeah, that's that's the kind of the inheritance side of it. What's inherited versus what's grown um, with us individually, and that's
0: maybe even like maybe it's not even inherited because the level hmm. of empathy that we have, we are capable of great amounts of empathy, and it sometimes um, knows it sometimes transcends logical, rational boundaries. You know, it's, I think it's possible to feel empathy and and relate and connect with people who we haven't even met. You know, Um, we don't even know their story. You know, we can get a glimpse of some scenario and we can relate, we can empathize, we can feel how they felt. Even though we don't know the narrative, we don't know the person you know there's a lot of um like I say, there's a lot of communication and information that we are able to perceive uh, that that is beyond comprehension at this mm. stage and I think this is in the realm of this kind of like as you say inherited, but maybe not necessarily even inherited, maybe it's just some form of uh, societal um, manifestation of suffering mm. that everyone can perceive but we just don't recognize it yeah. we're busy creating this identity, creating this individualism uh, called our ego and we're too busy trying to like, build that to compete in our human world our society um, that we are maybe unaware that we're all suffering on this pre-ego, pre-self, pre-pain body, our own pain body, uh, suffering. <laughs> like,
1: mm. yeah, and and as you were saying earlier, it may may not be inherited. It could just be that children, infants in particular, are extremely sensitive to their environment and. Um, it could be that, say, even when you're being breastfed, that the tension that might be there um, in in the mother somehow affects the the quality of the milk, or, or just the, the 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 environment and um, the atmosphere for the for the child for the baby or for the child. And so, yeah, it could be there. There could be all sorts of things that we're not able to really experience or think about now, being adults, that the the baby is experiencing. Um, is
0: curious. Because uh, my mind is wandering into like connecting different topics, t- different subjects. Um, if if you're on along the path of, okay. Say there is this form of energy, this form of communication or information, that is a collective kind of suffering. <clears throat> it's a it's a negative kind of energy. We are um, <clears throat> various people are able to perceive it in different ways. some people not perceive it at all mm, consciously, some people unconsciously whatever to varying degrees and I think uh, if you were to say that a child or animals um, who have not yet been enthralled in their own uh, ego development in their own identity and individualism if they if they are more susceptible to these energetic forms, then what if this kind of like suffering, imagine if uh, animals or or an infant Uh, More susceptible forms of consciousness. Imagine if they are in an area where uh, in the past there was like some kind of like burial ground, like a mass grave, uh, or there was a war fought there, great battle, great suffering in that local vicinity. I believe Uh, geographic location does hold significance and these like unexplained, you know, energetic residual stuff. So imagine if they are susceptible to those energetic. Um, information, right? Imagine if their psyche is uh, picking up on it, but it doesn't know what it is, and it tries to make sense of it. What if the human psyche, this early form of consciousness in toddlers, and animals, imagine if they try to decrypt this energy, this information, into ways that they can understand it, because it feels negative, it feels suffering, it feels icky. But what if they manifest it into um, forms of the sensory, forms of like visual, audio, um, kinesthetic, you know, then you might start to have areas of, oh, maybe that explains like ghosts as a phenomenon, you know? Imagine, because if you're able to perceive these energetic waveforms, but you can't comprehend them, your psyche, your mind would start to uh, actually, yeah, decode it, would try to like uh, make it into something for you to to help you recognize it, and it might manifest as a, a ghost that you see, your eyes play tricks on you, because your mind is literally creating this like decrypting this, oh, I perceive this like code and then it feels like this, it, you know. Uh, and I think that's a very curious notion that connects like the phenomena of like ghosts or spirits or something uh, with being able to perceive different energetic communications that's residual. And I think it kind of ties in.
1: Yeah, I think I think it could do in the sense that, as you said, kind of thinking about it more from the way that the the mind projects a reality um, and, you know, the pain, body and ego project a reality. And in some cases that can, through deep trauma, result in, uh, say, visions like literal, not not veridical, not objective physical apparitions, but from the perspective of of the viewer that is going through a trauma, um, they might see things or hallucinate or whatever it is. but. That that concept of there being an energy field that is is it, you, you can experience sometimes with the pain body. I, I I definitely kind of see something in that. You know how sometimes you walk into a room and you can you can cut the the atmosphere with a knife. It's like there's no one said anything, not necessarily in the body language, but you just get this amazing intense feeling that something isn't right or that somebody has a very active. I think you maybe become more sensitive to it when you learn more about the pain body but mm. that you can perhaps notice that there's a very active pain body <laughs> somewhere around the room mm. uh, or maybe in a lot of people because you know how the pain body reinforces itself through other people as well by triggering their negativity. Mm. Um, so I, I think that the idea that the, that you can experience it in that way is, is definitely true and in in some cases you can probably or you'll probably hear examples of uh, as I said, like in, in cases of trauma, when there's actually a, a, a visualization of something, maybe uh, because there's so much pain and basically so much mental illness from uh, an active pain body that you'll start seeing things or hearing things because what you think suddenly or, or somehow translates into what you actually perceive.
0: Mm. So
1: I think there's, there's definitely something to that.
0: Yeah. I think generally when you, when you mentioned, before when you asked the question, you know, uh, what does science think about this? Um, You know, what do we know? Well, when it comes to that scientific practice, obviously, science is ever evolving. We use tools, we create and construct tools that help us um, kind of gauge things. On a spectrum, and we use terminologies, and we put things in in logical boxes, and we identify things, and we repeat the tests. We create tests, we repeat those results to impartial other scientists, and everything like that. That's the whole process. So it's all relative to what tools we ha- can utilize and how we can actually perceive and uh, jot down uh, results. So in these kind of uh, Expressions of what if of possibility. Um, it's not jumping onto let's uh, rule it out as impossible, nor is it let's say this is uh, a reality. It's kind of you know what if it's allowing it. So you know that if you were to look at it through the lens of a um, a scientist. Uh, or a or someone who is fully of the kind of logical uh, left hemisphere brain, you know, way of approaching it. It's limited to what we have now with our capability, uh, scientifically and personally with our mental cognition. But I, I do feel like we discount stuff or we kind of justify things. We go, for example, okay, if, uh, if uh, yeah, it, it comes back down to this, we need examples, right? So a toddler is screaming and you don't know why. And then some kind of um, psychologist um, makes a study and they go, okay, I've identified. It's not that. It's not that. It can't be this. It must be this. This ticks all the boxes. This is the symptoms of this psychological uh, profile. And in this case of this toddler, it fits the profile, uh, nothing else explains it. This, this is it. This explains it uh, until it's discounted, right? Because that's how science works. It's like this is going to be a uh, universally accepted uh, truth. It's proven until disproven, until discounted. Hmm. But, but rarely do we ever focus so much on discounting because we just go, that's universally accepted, so much energy and time and you know uh, effort has been spent on trying to analyze this and identify it for what it is. <clears throat> Scientifically, yes, that's it. Papers are written on it, move on. You know, If you were to exert a lot of energy to try and discount it, disprove it, or uh, create other um, reasons that contribute to it also, it's like, you're going to be a thorn in someone's side, or you're going to be told it's futile, you know, it's, it's this. I feel like if we explain something, as a disclaimer, we should always uh, reiterate to ourselves that we might have explained one aspect of it. It might not be the full picture. It might not ever, ever be the full picture because of our several, several limitations but we've described it in one facet and we can agree to like move on with that. Mm. I don't think we can ever close the book in explaining anything.
1: No. And I, and I think what's helpful about the, a new earth is, is what we've said before is that it's the phenomenon that's being described as experientially there. It exists. You know, we experience pain, we experience suffering, we have thoughts in our head, Um, And so the way that he conceptualizes them is is really how we understand what is what we do know is 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 there. So what's useful about the way that he writes, I think, as we said, is that it's just really um, true from experience Um, and you can go down rabbit holes in in terms of the extent to which and how it actually functions scientifically or otherwise. But. in terms of life lessons and personal development, it kind of gives you everything that you need, which is which is really important. Mm. Um, I think something that's that's something I wanted to touch on just before we maybe consider wrapping up. Yeah, is uh, he does write about how thought does come into So I know we discussed a lot about how a lot of it is that visceral, entrenched element uh, of emotion over time. Um, but 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 he has this idea that the pain body seeks to renew itself every now and again, like it goes out for a night feed or a day feed or whatever it is, seeks other people, seeks to trigger other people in order to reinforce itself. Um, and something quite interesting about that is that that actually thought um, and a train of thought does come as a result of that. So sometimes we think about the ego as just losing presence and that's it. It's kind of a self-contained phenomenon. Um, But he also writes about the pain body as being uh, a trigger for thinking about things. So, for example, if you have a pain body that is that says I'm not lovable and seeks to reinforce that that story uh, periodically on the basis that the pain body wants to reinforce itself and strengthen itself every now and again, then it might then start looking in the external environment for examples of that and then Planting the thoughts that do end up in the in the in the kind of conscious stream of thought. So you know, for example, he, he writes about how um, emotion from the pain body quickly gains control of your thinking, and once your mind has been taken over by the pain body, your thinking becomes negative. The voice in your head would be telling sad, anxious, or an, angry stories about yourself, yeah. your life. Yeah. So uh, I think it's interesting that it does actually have a stream of consciousness element to it, but actually, it's the pain body that's triggering and seeking. Um, uh, that reinforcement and then that manifests in, um,
0: in the stream of thought <laughs> yeah, it's re- uh, yeah it's really uh, I don't know what adjective to use but it's really fascinating and it tickles my imagination to perceive this pain body and again referring to the individual's pain body at this juncture uh, as a separate form of consciousness in its own right that seeks to uh, legitimize itself. Mm. It seeks to validate its own existence, and it feeds itself and it's so it, it then kind of hijacks uh, the host, you know it hijacks the host's uh, memory banks, the the everything it hijacks the host, and it um, It creates loops, self fulfilling prophecy loops Mm -hmm. for its own legitimacy, to maintain its own legitimacy. Isn't that fascinating?
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. And I really like the way you said that. And you passed over these words uh, quite quickly, but the idea that it hijacks your memory bank, I think, is brilliant because it's that. Yeah, it's that selective memory that the pain body uh, leverages in order to, as you say, kind of justify itself uh, so that, you know, you, you, there could be 100 different instances of something and 98 of them are positive and two of them are negative. But those two will be bl- given so much weight, they'll be completely blown out of proportion for the purposes of the pain body. And therefore, you, even things like your memory, you you realize that you can't necessarily rely on when you're in the grip of the pain body.
0: No, no. Everything is, uh, is pretty much, it's not, it's not going to be uh, a healthy experience for anyone uh, when you're in that charged, triggered state, especially if it's the pain body. There are various charged kind of states where you, you notice you're triggered, um, but if it's, if it's in the realm of the pain body, usually it's one that's very significant, very deep-rooted, very automatic and the possessions, the takeovers, the hijacking, it can come like that, and you don't even know. So we can can talk at later stages about practical ways that you can try to actually stop that runaway train. Mm. Because I I
1: think that's really hard to do. Um, But something that's been working for me, and I probably don't do it as much as, as I should, is giving that voice to those those ancient thoughts so we the example we just gave kind of we'll see say something coming into the stream of consciousness and we might be able to spot it in its and stop it in its tracks but not necessarily truly address what is the underlying story that's in the pain body that keeps wanting to renew itself and so for me what's been helpful in terms of how i do deal with it in myself is when i feel those emotions uh, for whatever reason, or feel like I'm under attack, or I'm being contradicted, or not being valued, whatever it is, kind of saying, why do I, what is, what, like, give voice to that story, so what is it? And then, then I might say to myself, oh, well, basically, um, you feel like less of a human being, because um, you think that it's really important that you know a lot about the subject. And so when someone comes along and says something that's completely untrue, um it makes you feel like a fool and that's really important that you look really good and intelligent and things like that and once you've got it all out there then for me i can kind of like okay so now i've written that's kind of the narrative of the story that's the plot and then from there you can do what you would normally do with the ego which is okay now i've got that up up in front of me i can witness it i can step outside it and i can see it dissipate but it's a bit more digging that you need to do to to give voice to those stories
0: (laughs) I think that's more of an advanced level um, because in the moment. Oh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily in the,
1: I mean, great if I can do it in the, in the moment, if it's something not like super triggering, sometimes I can do that in the moment, but uh, often it will be afterwards once I've cooled down.
0: That's right. Yeah. 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 But in the moments, and we're talking about pain body, pain body is usually going to be a takeover, instant, the best. The, you know, the best advice is probably just to try and stay in that moment, but get off the tracks, you know, Um, just whatever you do, try to do nothing. Like, I'd say in that takeover state, when you're possessed, when you're super angry, and you're just completely like you're starting to, to (sighs) like that. Probably the best thing to do is just do as little as possible. Don't action anything. Don't try to react to anything. Just be present, but try to just, you know, breathe and observe. Um, because sometimes you can't take back words. You know, even if you're in a completely possessed state and the monster's got a hold of you and it, brings up this the the ugliest things that you can conjure through your memory bank so your hijacked memory and through your vocabulary through your experience you know that person that's in front of you that triggered you you know their biggest weaknesses and you say something and unfortunately some things can't be taken back the impacts that they have will then be transferred onto that person's pain body and then it's their prerogative and mm-hmm. I personally don't ever want to inflict that kind of um, suffering. Although in the biggest picture, suffering is usually a big um, um, motivator. It's uh, it's usually right. um, something that actually, you know, does, it's a catalyst for change. And, you know, you can get into that big picture, big picture kind of upon after the fact kind of thing upon reflection in the future when you're when you're older and more wise you look back and you go that horrible experience actually did create like a lot of shift that I can now deem as positive but blah 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 after the fact that's that's another thing in the moment best advice yeah I just did not do yeah
1: I mean the 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 the, uh, the kind of reflection that you do and bringing out the story behind it is yes probably going to be a longer term strategy that you do with a cooler head. But in the moment, I think your advice that you that you said is is kind of in accordance with what Eckhart Tolle would say.
0: Yeah, and yeah, there's. I mean, you know, again, I revert back to the master. You know, Eckhart Tolle, he's spent his life, you know pondering on this and, and helping people and articulating very kind of concise uh, advice. Um, so for practical applications, always refer to his teachings and stuff, which yeah. is riffing. Well, you see
1: this, I, I was just, for some, maybe because I saw it over Christmas. Um, I saw, uh, you know, I, I had my fair share of trashy, Christmassy type films that, I, that I've been watching over Christmas mm. and I rewatched uh, You've Got Mail. I think it was on Netflix. I don't know if you remember seeing that. It's like a Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan film from the 90s. But basically, um, Tom Hanks is this uh, big shot business guy that owns uh, a corporate and kind of faceless uh, book uh, chain. Um, And uh, he comes to town and effectively puts um, Meg Ryan out of business with her little corner shop bookstore independently owned and all boutique and cutesy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the situation that she always has is when she's mad and wound up because, you know, she thinks he's just like, like a shameless corporate uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, bully, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that when she's confronted with him, she, I guess, because her pain body is activated and she feels intimidated by him, she becomes tongue tied. And that's the thing that she always kind of mentions um, in, in the film, the character, is that. You know, she can never get the words together in that situation just because she feels like she's in a high-pressure situation, so she can never kind of speak her mind and her mind wanting to say, you know, very clever quips or insults to kind of get it back and put him in his place sort of thing.
0: Who, who um, can not relate to that, honestly?
1: Well, like, this is it. It's so many instances. You can see it in a million films and in a million scenarios in day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, but I, yeah, so in terms of, there's another aspect of managing it, uh, maybe before we wrap up, that I wanted to speak about. And because so much of being triggered, we, we discussed in terms of in our own experiences and maybe in terms of what's cues in the environment when we're very young or even in, inherited from uh, past generations. But a big part of the pain body that he speaks about is when someone else's pain body is active and how to manage that situation. 'Cause it can be so easy and you know, everybody gets into this situation. You get drawn into the drama um of someone else's pain body. And because we all have some kind of pain body that's dormant, it, it requires such skill to to not be drawn into that situation. But even if you're not drawn into it, the something that I go to Eckhart Tolle for in terms of videos on continued learning from his teachings is how to manage that situation when you've got a super strong pain body um you know in your group or around you and how to manage that situation because Mm -hmm. it's almost like you're under fire so (laughs) so i think that's another thing that we have maybe we can just spend a couple of minutes talking about
0: yeah um an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind as that saying goes uh we we keep referring to uh Warfare What I do anyway of the ego and pain body is a massive part of the ego and it's certainly warfare um, When the pain body you mentioned coming under fire surely So the pain body when it's triggered. It's like it's up in arms. It's like right fights on uh, it draws its weapon and It wants you to arm yourself. So then you can have a fight because mm-hmm. conflict is especially in a triggered state when you're being possessed, it is ready for war. It's ready for conflict. That's what it wants to do. It wants to create anarchy. It wants to hurt you because it feels hurt. It wants to deal out what it feels. That's it. So um, in the collective or whether it's just two individuals, um, whatever the context is, if you feel that you are observing someone else's pain body draw arms and they're wanting you to to fire back and defend yourself, it wants to see your own pain body so we can have a fight. So if you're able to see it like that, if you're able to see this this body, this like almost uh, a double of that person, but it's their pain body standing in their place or next to them, however you wanna visualize it, but it's like they arm themselves. It's like, right, fuck you. I'm gonna take out my gun and I'm gonna fire at you. The immediate reaction usually is to engage uh, your defenses and as soon as you're fired at your pain body is then triggered obviously pain bodies know how to trigger all the pain bodies you know each other very well blah blah then you, mm-hmm. you you have a war of pain bodies so the way to try and stop that is hopefully to just create some space as soon as you know red flag trigger warning i see someone's pain body being triggered at that moment you should go, anything that's said or done is now nullified. Like, let it wash over you. Don't try to respond. Don't take it seriously. Just put a pin on it. Pause that moment because before they were triggered, you deemed them as their more like conscious selves. But as soon as they are possessed, they are unconscious. They are not their preferred selves. hmm it's yeah, kind of like if you are, um, you know, if you are used to people with uh, different kind of mental uh, uh, afflictions, say someone who has split personality disorder, it's easier to once you, once you are clued up in that concept, and once you have experienced it, and you know the signs, and you know what to look out for, it's then easier for you to be an observant or uh, uh, an observing third party to that, and then go ah. It's now, it's not Eric anymore. It's Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's here. Okay, now I have to just try and like disassociate myself from letting my ego or my pain body react to Andrew's uh, volatile and triggering mechanisms. Because that's what Andrew does. That's right. what the pain body does. You know? So it's about recognizing these. And so the earlier you're able to recognize the symptoms, the you know the yeah the reactions of it. Hmm. The sooner than that you can start to go okay, non-reactive. Everything is just going to wash over me.
1: And know? I think also um being honest when you know what everything that we're saying, but uh, in my case sometimes just admitting that I am reacting. I think it's 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 you don't you don't want to be the one that's kind of in the wrong, and you don't want to be the one that knows all of these concepts and ideas and understands them and has been working on them um, and then ends up reacting anyway and so sometimes the temptation is to be well I didn't react but you really did or well I did react but they kind of they got me started it's kind of pinning the blame on the other person and I think that it's very very easy to to do that even though you know that that um, that uh, yeah deep down that you are actually being reactive and it's not to laugh but I think just to wrap up um, something that always helps me in terms of a quote that stuck with me is what we react to in another is also in ourselves and mm. so particularly with those environments and examples that we've just spoken about in the last couple of minutes I think having that quote in my head reminds me that you think you're not being reactive but you were being reactive and what you're reacting to in that person is also in you that's how they kind of bond (laughs) that that energy field kind of melds together so um that's been really helpful to me yeah Any, any closing remarks from you
0: um whenever you noticed any signs um if you hear the phrase like shots fired in your head or something like that any kind of signal that says to you oh shots fired they're up in the arms, they're triggered, uh, or am triggered. Anything like that, just try and uh, manage your habitual instinctive reaction to reach for your gun, to reach for your shield, to run away, to fight, whatever it is, that knee jerk reaction, that automatic response, just try to not let that run its program and just be present you can analyze it later but just breathe just be present it takes two to have a fight it takes two to conflict if it's one-sided yeah you're gonna have to channel a lot of self-restraint to take it and again you shouldn't have to take it but If you are able to develop yourself to a degree where in those moments you make exception and you go, anything that they say and do is just going to be, I'm going to let it, I'm going to give you a pass. I can see it. It's a demon. It's not you. You're unconscious right now. It's your pain body, blah, blah, blah. Let it wash. At least if you stop that, you know, rather than trying to arm yourself or try to grab your defenses, what if you are unaffected? You know, if you have the power to channel that, even momentarily, that might be very, very, very helpful because afterwards, then you can go, okay, now you've calmed down. I didn't have to reach for my gun. I didn't have to reach for my shield. You put out your gun. I feel shots fired. If you felt like I fired first, Please tell me, but after the fact, you discuss it. But it takes two to the fight. So, if one person is able to not participate in that conflict, not attack, not defend, if they are just, you know, non reactive and uh, immune, they are impervious. Uh, right. For a moment, I think that's something to, to kind of hope to achieve it takes a lot of work but uh yeah
1: definitely yeah. No, that's good stuff and and definitely like we said at the end around something that we didn't really touch on much but the whole prevention side of it like spotting it around the corner before it arrives it's a lot a lot easier to deal with it uh when you've got when you've got like a red amber green and you're kind of on amber than when it's fully fledged at red whether you're by yourself or with someone else so i'm glad that you mentioned that all right well um this has been good. I think we covered lots good. of aspects of what is sometimes perhaps not always a, a clear topic um, in terms of how it relates and the different aspects of it and managing the pain body. So I think we did a pretty good job.
0: I, I really enjoyed this, this topic.
1: Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll do another one soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. you again soon, mate. All
1: right. Speak well, soon.
0: Peace. Cheers. Bye.